Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. And F up Ella. I never thought the Carlo comedian and unlikely pop star um, Richie Kavanagh would ever feature in my podcast. Let's just say he isn't exactly my cup of tea. However, I couldn't resist using his best known song as inspiration for this episode. Thanks uh, in part to Natalie Doyle Bradley on Twitter for guiding me to the title. And when it comes to the National Council for Special Education, their actions last week with the assessment of need debacle, had they have gotten away with it, might have had me singing. I'd sit down there in my chair being treated like a fool, as they basically were trying to direct schools to do the job a High Court decision had placed on them. I spent quite a lot of time on this podcast trying to explain why the NCSE is by far one of the worst agencies in the whole of the education system, but because it is technically independent, it is therefore not answerable to anyone. So it never gets involved in any media, because when anything bad happens, it's usually the Minister for Education or individual schools that end up getting the rap. However, thanks to the ineptitude of the HSE, 91% of assessments of needs were actually not completed within the six-month time frame that the law actually dictates. And as a result, thanks to a court action called uh, the, uh, from uh, basically a law called the Epson Act, the NCSE were thrust into the mainstream because they were charged with having to provide educational reports on children through the assessment of need. And due to their own ineptitude, they tried to pass the book of this onto schools. And what followed was a week-long battle to put a stop to their shenanigans. Over the next couple of episodes, we'll delve into a week where we got to see what representatives really think of their members. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who you think might be interested in primary education about the podcast and if you like it, please leave a review. Now, last week, an email appeared in principal's inboxes, which was an information note basically directing schools to fill in a form for the NCSE to aid in their assessment of need profile. Last week, I went through that information note that arrived and tried to piece together what was going on. I recorded the episode within a couple of hours of it landing in my inbox and I really didn't have a lot of time to get the background of it properly. So before I begin, I, I, I do think I got the background a wee bit incorrect, um, but I think I got the message incorrectly. I mean, but ultimately there was a high court ruling in 2021 uh, that there was a legal requirement on the education system to provide an assessment of educational needs as part of the assessment of need process. How many times have I used the word assessment in that sentence? And this, I think, was in the Epson Act, which has never actually been fully implemented. 
In any case, and this came as a surprise to me, it was the responsibility of the NCSE to nominate them, uh, an appropriate person or persons to carry out that assessment of educational needs. Now, the information note deemed that this appropriate person would be either the principal of the school or someone else in the school. Now, I have no idea how the NCSE convinced the Department of Education that this would be an avenue they should go down, but it seems that, according to Dara Leary in the Doyle during the week that the Department of Education and the NCC are very conscious of the workload on schools and on school leaders and in that regard an extensive consultation process on the educational component of the assessments of needs process was undertaken prior to its introduction. This process involves schools, advocacy groups, management bodies and unions. The Department and the NCSC worked with a small number of schools on a draft of the documents required as part of the HSC's assessment of need process. The schools provided valuable feedback on the form and guidance documents, which was then used to inform the documents which have been issued to schools. Now, there are a couple of interesting bits in these sentences. The first one that should strike you is that the unions were involved. The second bit is the small number of schools that gave feedback. Now, if you listened to my podcast episode last week, I spent a good bit of it giving out about how I was one of those schools and how my feedback was not taken into consideration. And I actually emailed one of the people who came to my school to express my disappointment about that fact. And she didn't even give me the courtesy of a reply, which says more to me than anything else. Now, this isn't the most important aspect of this debacle, but I mention it because the government are basically using my goodwill to tell fibs. My feedback was not taken into consideration, and as you'll hear later, it wasn't taken into consideration from another principal who also was used for this particular, um, I don't know what you'll call it anyway. The form is almost exactly the same as the one I critiqued and the other principal critiqued. We can't be the, you know, the only vocal people that, uh, that, that uh, got ignored. But I will share the draft copy on the show notes so you can just compare for yourself what we got back in June and what's changed. And you'll see it's not very much. However, it's the first thing I just mentioned there that matters more than whether the NCSE were pretending to bother listening to the likes of me But it's a bit where the minister there, Minister Cleary, says that they also involved the union. Now, I'm not stupid enough to believe that what he says is true, in that I would think people would be stupid enough to believe that just because he said they consulted with schools was true. But several members of the INTO received an email from their CEC reps this week, which started off with the sentence that the INTO have been aware of this issue since June. Now, the question most people have been wondering since the information note came out last week was where are the union and why have they not done anything about this? And over the course of the week, ordinary members of the INTO have been asking that question directly to the union and to their management bodies, to their patrons, to politicians and to anyone else that might have a position or influence. And I've been tracking that over the last seven days. And the funny thing is, well, is that as a story has gathered pace, something fishy is going on. 
So I'm going to try and piece together what's been happening from basically correspondences I've seen, messages from stakeholders, and records from the Doyle, such as the one a couple of minutes ago. The big question is why did the NCSE think it was okay to demand schools to do their job for them? But more importantly, why didn't the union stop them in the first place? It's been just over a week since I tweeted the following. This rather innocent looking information note landed in principal's inbox not more than a couple of hours ago. Because the HSE can't do their job properly with assessment of need, a court order an, uh, an agency to pick up the pieces. A court ordered an agency to pick up the pieces. Guess who they picked? And and then I began to record a live poetry reading of the document. Sorry for my hesitation reading my tweet. Gosh, I didn't realize there were so many typos in it. Um, but anyway, I began then to record a live poetry reading of that document. And within a couple of hours, teachers around the country came. I suppose, came to piece the pieces together of this bizarre and frankly arrogant demand that schools were now expected to not only do the NCSE's work, but to use a completely inappropriate document to do so. And not only that, there was no information about how the information was going to be used and whether schools would be liable for the information they wrote. There was no acknowledgement of the extra workload this would bring and certainly no assurance that there would be resources given to schools to support the children we were writing for. One of the things we can't forget is that this situation has arisen because children with additional educational needs are not getting the services they are entitled to. And why would any school want to help the very agency that was starving them and the children in their care of the supports that were needed. Every time you listen to a government politician speak on this, they say the following. They say that schools must provide all children with additional needs with the supports they need from the allocations that are given by the NCSE. Now, last week uh, on this podcast, I compared this demand to a restaurant which might have 100 seats in it, but only 40 meals, and then forcing them to feed everyone properly. I mean, that is the reality of schools. A school might have 100 pupils with additional needs, but they might only get enough support for 40 of them. And if you don't believe me, it's, the, it's in the NCSE's own documentation. For example, if you have a class with three children that require one-to-one -one support from an SNA, the maximum and the very maximum you'll get is one SNA. That is all you would get and that's been the case for a very long time. Over 500 principals were surveyed by the National Principals Forum, for example, three years ago and 91% of them said that when they tried to get more support for children in their school, their appeal was rejected. 91% and they were rejected by the NCSE. They couldn't all be wrong, could they? Surely they can't all be wrong or lying, could they? Another survey of over 300 schools showed that children with this, uh, um, uh, additional education needs are receiving 21% fewer hours in 2022 than they would have done if they had been using the same metrics as they did in 2007, thanks to the new SET allocation model. I could go on, but I think you get the point, and I have a lot to cover today. Suffice to say, children do not receive adequate supports in schools, and when ministers state that schools must support all children, it is simply gaslighting, because 
it doesn't matter what school you're in, it's impossible. Despite many teachers being missionaries for the Catholic Church in their daily job, they are not actually Jesus, and they can't perform the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Us poor heathens in Educate Together are almost, worse, are almost even worse off, because not only are we not Jesus, but because we're newer schools, we're receiving fewer hours because of mad mathematics of this, these silly algorithms. And um, anyway, let's get on with it. There was a flurry of responses to my tweet um, with one of the most popular ones from a chartered psychologist and no less a GAA coach as it happens called Mark Smith who given that he's a chartered psychologist and a GAA coach I probably should have heard of him. I'm sorry I haven't but anyway his response was and I'll read it. What qualifies the NCSC to nominate a person with the appropriate expertise to carry out an assessment of educational needs? In the absence of CORU statutory registration for psychologists, what criteria are NCSC using to nominate a psychologist? I don't know why I gave him that voice. I don't think I've ever heard a GAA coach with that, with that accent. Um, anyway, I won't try. Anyway. I've absolutely no idea what he's talking about, to be honest, in a second sentence. But loads of people liked it and retweeted it. However, I, even though I didn't understand it, I can answer his question as to what qualifies the NCSC to do that. The answer, and I'm sure he knew this too, is nothing. The NCSE are completely unanswerable to anyone, so it doesn't really matter what they do. They can actually do whatever they want. However, of all the people, of all the people who tweeted, retweeted, sent more, more, more tweets than anybody else, uh, I'm sorry for going on about Twitter, in the week of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, I suppose it's, it's probably appropriate, but it's, I, I will get to the, the power of Twitter in this actual uh, episode, but anyway, just getting back to the point really, the person who should be commended in the last week most for all their summaries, opinions and sharing of information is a principal called Trina Golden. And for those of you who don't know her, Follow her on Twitter, find her, she's very easy to find. Not only has she been brilliant in this situation, she is always on the pulse with all things education, so very much worth following. And Trina has spent hours of her life this week trying to piece together this information note and whether or not what is being asked of schools is appropriate or even legal. She's also been encouraging people to contact whoever they can to find this out. And it was amazing to me anyway, how quickly things started to happen. Within a day of our Twittering, the Irish Examiner ran a story in their paper with the headline, NCSC trying to bounce legal obligations to children with disabilities onto principles, where they basically got a comment from the Department of Education, not the NCSE by the way, because remember, the NCSE are not answerable to anybody, and this was the response of, from the unnamed department spokesperson they put in the article. And I'll read it for you here. The department and NCSE have put in place a suite of supports to assist schools in completing the educational component of the HSE's AON process. These include detailed guidance, short video for use by schools setting out how to comply with the process, email support, dedicated support line. This line will be staffed by education's professionals who will assist schools in completing the process. Now, 
Many people chuckled when they saw the phrase suite of supports as it reminded them of those glorious, glorious days of COVID-19 when the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, used to use the phrase to describe what they did for schools, which essentially amounted to cracking open a window and providing a helpline. So this sounds very familiar. In fact, to save them some time in the future, if there's ever a problem and the newspapers can't get through to the Department of Education, they can simply use that statement for almost any issue whatsoever. However, the first lobby group off the mark were the National Principals Forum, unsurprisingly, who, by the way, are not the IPPN, for those of you who are confused, because the IPPN is the official representative body for principals, so they will keep telling you whenever you ask, or even if you don't ask, but the National Principals Forum may not be the official representative bodies for principal. In fact, it is a lobby group who spend their free time trying to get those stakeholders who are official representative bodies to advocate for principal and school leaders. I am a member of that group, just for the record, and I will read their statement because, you know, I think it's really good. They wrote this on the 23rd of October 2022. Important to note the date. The National Principals Forum is concerned about the silence emanating from the doors of the unions, the representative bodies and education partners about the latest debacle with the assessment of need process and the expectation from the National Council of Special Education for school leaders and teachers to sort out their legislative responsibilities without being qualified to do so. Schools have not been informed of why they are being asked to fill out these forms and given that they come from a legal perspective whether they will be indemnified should anything they report be used in a future court case. Schools are also not being offered any extra staffing or resources to take this significant amount of time it will take to process the forms. Furthermore, a school support plan is not an assessment of a child's educational needs. It is inappropriate for schools to be asked to provide these for this purpose and potentially dangerous. Schools will always put the needs of children first, but it is imperative that schools and their employees are not being used for purposes that could see them knee-deep in litigation while taking part in this tick-box bureaucratic exercise. The National Principals Forum demands that the union investigate this situation and assure their members that any extra work placed on them will be resourced and compensated and will actually give the children with additional needs the support they need in their schools and from external specialists. To me, it sums everything up. You might wonder what the union was saying at this point, given a couple of days had passed, and the answer to that question was nothing. Not a single word, and by the end of the, of the weekend, they still had said nothing. So cue Monday morning. Trina posted a really good email that she was sending to her CEC rep outlining the concerns she had about this information note. I have to say it's well worth reading this one out to you and I'll add my own thoughts if I need to but it's so well written I don't think I'm going to need to comment other than read it out. And here it is. Hi, I'm writing to share my significance and concerns about the newly announced AON process. I feel strongly that we cannot allow for this process to go ahead unchallenged for the reasons below. One, a school support plan is not an assessment of educational needs, similar to the uh, National Principals Forum there. To accept and comply with the direction from the NCSC and department would be to accept their assertion that the information in a school support plan fulfills the legal requirement described in the High Court of a child's right to an assessment of education need as part of an AOM process. 
This is not what a school support plan is, nor what it was ever intended to be. School support plans are working planning documents to identify short-term short priority targets for the child that can be achieved over the course of a few months. They are not an assessment of a child's overall need, nor an assessment of the need having the most impact. They are a plan for what can be achieved in a short time frame. We must utterly reject the idea of them being an assessment of educational need, as it is fundamentally changes not only school support plans used for AON, but all school support plans. If a teacher must now be aware that anything written in a school support plan may be used as part of a statutory legal process, it utterly changes their purpose. That's very strong argument on its own, but she's more. Number two, we're actually, we are not qualified to assess educational needs for pupils with additional educational needs. Assessed educational needs for a child with a disability are not what the school happens to see at the moment. What we see in school is a small snapshot of the things that impact a child's educational needs. We do not have the training, qualifications or skills to assess a child's educational needs in relation to disability. This is the role of the educational psychologist. Levels of training and support for SETs is immensely variable. Some SETs are newly qualified teachers, others have a limited understanding of disability from their own experience. SCT and school support plans are not an objective measure. A child who would be receiving SET in one school would not be receiving SET in another. SET is, is not by any measure an objective assessment as it depends fully on a school's need profile and resourcing. The idea that a child with a potential disability would be assessed differently because of the school they happen to attend is unconscionable. By accepting this new process, that is exactly what we would be encouraging and condoning. Objective impartial assessment is the right of every child going through the assessment of need process. You know, another really good point, and I'll come on to that in a little while. Number three, this is not our statutory duty. Despite the proclamations of the NCSE and the Department of Education, the assessment of educational need is a statutory duty solely of the NCSE, not of schools or principals. The phrasing of it as our statutory duty is misleading and must be challenged. If the NCSE and department can at any time put their statutory duties onto schools with no consultation or agreement, this will not be the last significant issue. Gareth Noble, who was involved in the court case, has serious doubts that the NCSE can place this statutory duty on schools or that this process meets the criteria laid down by the High Court. Accepting it without challenge is putting ourselves in a dangerous position and more importantly we are allowing the NCSE to abdicate their duty to provide our pupils with the objective assessment they have a right to. I very strongly feel we should be seeking legal advice on this issue collectively and a directive should be made to refrain from engaging with school support planning until it is resolved. If it is to eventually legally establish that this approach meets the criteria of the Disability Act and it is in fact a legal requirement, then we must look at resourcing. This cannot be added to the workload of already overworked sets and principles without additional resourcing. Each of these forms takes three to five hours to complete. We cannot fail these children even further by having them lose an entire day's teaching because of this. In that situation, there must be additional resourcing provided to cover, be that, be that via a general increase in set immediately or a bank of hours to school if the required to complete a form or a substitutable leave day for the staff member completing the form. We cannot simply accept this as yet another additional thing to do and do any justice to our pupils with additional needs. So thus ends the letter from Trina, a really comprehensive letter, I'm sure you'll agree, um, and with excellent points. However, 
it wasn't just teachers and school staff that were absolutely flabbergasted by this situation. Parents of children with additional needs were also up in arms. Since last week, many of them have joined in with staff to share their absolute dismay at the NCSE passing the book on to teachers. Their main beef, as uh, you know, from what I was reading, was that teachers aren't psychologists and effectively can't be trusted to make these judgments of children. And that might sound harsh, or it might sound like it's it's been framed as an insult to teachers, but we're not. We aren't, and we can't be trusted to make judgments like this. I mean, there is only so much one can do. I always joke, uh, for example, you know, that I'm a, I'm, I'm a really terrible parent. Um, you know, I'm a good teacher, but I'm a terrible parent. But, you know, I, I, you know, because just because you're something doesn't mean you're everything, you know? You can't be, just because you work with children doesn't mean you're a psychologist of children. It doesn't mean I'm a doctor of children. It doesn't mean I'm a, it doesn't even mean I'm a good parent, you know? I mean, I, I, I joke, I think I'm an okay parent, to be honest with you. Um, I hope so anyway. I'm sure I'll be, I'm sure he'll write bad poems about me in the future, probably good poems, better poems than I right but anyway let's 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 move on because you know what i'm they're absolutely right because you know they argue they argue also correctly that some schools a child that receives support in some schools wouldn't be even considered for support in another school so just to give you an example of this because you know and, and I don't mean to generalize here, but let's let's be let's be honest. Let's compare your average Desh school to your average Gwale school, okay? You know, and I, I sorry to be controversial here, but you know, the whole thing is controversial, so why not let me add to the controversy? So in your average Desh school, a huge number of children don't get support because there are so many children with needs. Now, in your average Gwale school, you can what they do is they take one of their set team and they plop them into adding to make an extra junior infants because they don't need that extra set teacher, obviously, for support. Well, clearly they don't because most of them do this. So basically in a Gwale school with two, uh, two streams, so two junior sets of junior infants, what they do is they take a special education teacher and they make three sets of junior infants to make the class sort. And they, and they sort of justify this because immersion, immersion, you see, you know, so... They don't need that set teacher for special needs. They need it for immersion, which is very important um, and shows you why. I, I, to be honest with you, it tells me everything really about it. But, you know, look, and I know, look, I do know there are some Gwell schools, there are some Gwell schools that are also Dash schools, so hence the use of your average Gwell school. So let's not, let's just not pretend we don't know what goes on in reality. Anyway, back to the parents because I just needed to make that point. They're right. We're not qualified, and learning support or uh, support or whatever you want to call it, resource teaching as it used to be known at, is not given consistently in any schools. Uh, and, you know, effectively, you know, we're not qualified. So effectively, whatever you write amounts, just amounts to our opinion in a document which has a legal basis. And whether or not it would ever be used in a legal case doesn't really matter. Now, one parent um, who uh, was involved in this is someone called, I think she's a parent anyway, she, she heads up a, an organisation called FUSS. I don't know what that is, um, but she created a template letter that could be sent by parents or guardians, caregivers, whatever you want. And this is how it goes. And again, I'm going to read it verbatim. I might comment, but I don't think I probably will need to. And she says, she was uh, telling people, make sure you send it to the following people. Dear NCSE managers, 
Minister Foley and Minister Manigan. So they're the people she feels are uh, important here. I am writing to share my concerns regarding the new educational assessment process as part of the AON. On October 20th, the Department of Education announced that the NCSC will be nominating an appropriate person to carry out an assessment of educational needs on behalf of the NCSE under the AON process. Furthermore, a note was issued to schools to inform them of their new role and responsibilities in that process. This is concerning for several reasons. And here she comes in and she gives four reasons. And I'm going to read them. They're short enough. One, schools have been advised to use the school's SSP, that's a school support plan, as a basis for this assessment. A school support plan is not an assessment of educational need. It is a short-term plan in which targets or goals are set for the student. The school support plan would now become a legal document despite the failure of, uh, to enact EPS in 2004. So similar to Trina's argument there. Number two, teachers and principals are not educational psychologists by profession. Duh. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not saying duh to Rachel, but it's, it, it, it's, it's mad that we have to say this, isn't it? Anyway, they do not necessarily have the qualifications. In fact, they generally don't have the qualifications to complete the assessment as intended under Disability Act 2005. Set skills and training very massively between teachers and schools. I fear this could result in inaccurate and inappropriate diagnoses leading to further legal challenges of AON. I would ask, how do NCSE define a appropriately qualified it's a fair question i don't even think they bothered asking themselves they said do you know what we'll throw it on to schools because they're idiots number three schools do not have the resources to complete the paperwork involved set will be tasked with completing this paperwork which will result in less time in the classroom with children with additional educational needs and um, this is not a position our children or teachers should be forced into it's a really interesting point because i mean when is this work going to be done and people say ah, i do it after school so you hardly do anything anyway and and you know that's that's going to be a response from some people um but you know the thing is how much more can we throw onto teachers time outside of the classroom there is you know every time something comes in people go oh yeah yeah they only work a half day let them let them do it after school but the amount of stuff that we're doing after school already has increased so much over the last decade when do we stop doing this paperwork and you know and when we you know do, do we need to say do you know what we're going to just work um for two hours after the school day to you know satisfy this nine to five mentality that people want to have because we go work from nine to three so therefore we'll work till five and guess how much work will be done in this extra 10 hours a week i mean the the average teacher is working uh, works and i think we calculated about between 48 and 52 hours a week um, based on after their planning after their paperwork after the phone calls and meetings they have to have with parents and everything else it's it just it's it's really annoying um for teachers um and uh, you know when they when they hear this nonsense and then people go on oh we'll do it during your holidays and things like that you know your millions of holidays and stuff you know it's just oh i don't know you know it, it i don't think we'll ever win that battle but i'm very glad rachel made the point anyway number four the professional judgment of principals and teachers is questioned via exceptional review when the need for additional sna and or set support is identified that's a really good <laughs> a really good sentence these reviews are arduous and often unsuccessful how could the ncse justify valuing the judgment of staff in one scenario but not another that's brilliant it's such a good point so i mean essentially what rachel's saying i don't know if people are aware of this whenever schools are looking for more supports they basically share 
um, the school plan, the, the school support plans, they share timetables, they share all this sort of stuff and they make a case to get extra resources for that and in 91% of cases they're rejected. So all of a sudden now our school support plans are perfect, you know, so they'll be fine for an assessment of need. It's such a good point, fair play, I, I love it. Um, anyway, it, uh, it ends there. So, I mean, it, it's similar enough uh, with similar points to Trina's template, but well worth repeating a lot of them because the whole situation is so ludicrous. And as I said earlier on, apart from the ludicrousness of, of it all, one of the most frustrating things for me was how the NCSE completely ignored my feedback on the form itself. So I was therefore kind of gratified to see Vicky Barron, another hero of COVID times, by the way, for those of you who think, I know that name. Um, but uh, she charted her experience of filling in the form with the NCSE and NEPS representative. And I'm going to read to you her experience. And, you know, I think um, it's a, a, after that we might take a pause because we're gone over the half an hour. So this is her series that she tweeted. So she did what, what's known as a thread um, on Twitter. A lot of people uh, are writing, doing threads. I do them the odd time myself. But so essentially what I did was I unrolled her thread. So here it goes. Phone call to school from someone high up telling me that a DES inspector and a NEP psychologist were on the way to have this form filled. They arrived, two very nice people by the way, and I had gathered some info. I asked what they needed to know and they replied their purpose was to sit with me while I filled in the form as it was urgent and needed to be completed there and then. I had many questions. I was asked to copy the info from the SSP onto the form. No digital copy, so I had to do it by hand. I asked where this info is going to the HSC. Will this info inform my set allocation going forward? No, it's different departments, not for that purpose, but they would bring that idea back. Why was SSP SSP regarded as appropriate for an AON? Sorry, I'll translate that into English. Why was the school support plan regarded as appropriate for an assessment of need? This is how schools assess educational needs, was the reply. So an interesting kind of um, first set of tweets there and really very, very sensible question. I didn't ask them, I'm kind of bugging I didn't ask that question. Would this give us more resources? Um, but essentially uh, summarizing pretty much my experience so far. So she carries on. Why are NEPs not doing this? It's a mandate, a burden is on the, it's a mandate, burden is on the NCSE and they have decided the school principal is their nominated person to complete these forms on their behalf. What if I don't want to complete the form? You don't have to. You can nominate a teacher to do it. I really can't support this going forward, uh, said Vicky. Uh, we'll bring this info back, but this will become part of the AONS process going forward. Why weren't we consulted, she asked. Partners and stakeholders were consulted. She says in brackets, I'm happy to be corrected on that point. I look forward to it, actually. Um, and we know now that they were consulted. I'm really not happy about this. And it was her next sentence. And they said, we'll bring that information back. So similarly, um, you know, very, very similar to what I was uh, saying as well at, on that day. And everything I said, oh, we'll definitely bring that information. Oh, that's great. That's great. We'll bring that information back to the top. And you, you, you'll know. And now you'll see the changes and all so on. This is what they were saying to me. She carries on, Vicky, there. Anyway, the people were genuine and helpful. I've no issues with them. I do have issues with this process. As teachers, we have little access to diagnostic tests. We have some qualifications in the SEN, but we, reply, we rely on NEPs to diagnose learning issues. That's their job. The fact that data collecting for AON will not be used to support school for allocation 
patience is a huge red flag and she's absolutely right in that so she carries on i also explained that we had 20 plus children engaged with the aon process and how would we manage these forms for so many children and they replied you'll be gathering this information in those children anyway i'm saying that in a kind of a petty voice they weren't really petty they're very nice but anyway that was the response uh we'll carry on that day i spent approximately three hours filling that form hand up so did i um, i did not feel i had done the child justice as our targets were smart and targets we intended to reach while we rated on a neps assessment they were not an appropriate assessment of where the child was academically not even close i'd agree with that if money was invested into neps and not into the administrative part of a council which is failing children miserably we might have some hope our children's futures are in danger schools cannot keep mopping up this mess children deserve better and she ends with my goodwill is gone to be honest that pretty much sums up the experience i had and in some ways this might be a good place to pause um as we um as we uh, as we've listened to quite a bit of responses and i suppose in the next part i'm going to talk about what happened next i guess what i've done is i've summarized really what happened for the first few days um, um of this debacle um instant responses from trina from vicky from uh, other people like that from uh, rachel there as well and um really really interesting uh, kind of responses basically asking the questions that our representatives should have been asked during the consultation but clearly mustn't have i mean if they did why were the uh, ncse and the department of education pushing through with this and in our next part we'll hear a little bit more from other reactions from uh, maybe some politicians and uh, from uh, other ad uh, agencies and representative bodies but we'll also kind of um, start wondering why did the union after being consulted back in june not have those questions ready and also why were they denying there was a problem so there you have it. That is our first part of this summary of the AON debacle, um, as I'm calling it, A-O-N-F-F-U-P-E-L-A. Um, I, I, I have to use F-U-P-E-L-A because I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast, as small people might be listening to you. I, uh, I hope um, they haven't kind of figured out what that is. Um, but uh, just uh, sing uh, Richie Kavanagh really loudly. Um, when you think it's coming up um, sorry to put that uh, what do they call that the earworm into your head it is a bit of an earwormy song Ugh, I don't know I, I you know I don't know if it's dated well really that was actually the song of 1990, 1996 and I've since found out it's the 15th best single of all time in Ireland and did you know as well it was banned in the UK for over a year uh, during the day and was only allowed to be played past after midnight on BBC radio lots of facts you learn a lot here not just education you learn all about Carlo's finest Richie Kavanagh anyway I'll be back in a couple of days with the next part of this um, podcast episode charting this debacle and what it's teaching us as teachers and educators and people interested in primary education uh, as I said it's um, this isn't really a fight about the fight but it really shows you how the world of education and the politics of education works anyway that is it for me for now until next time thanks for listening